Hi, I'm Mel. I'm an illustrator, designer, and founder of the Mimi for Creatives community. I created Mimi to support creatives with coaching, resources, masterclasses, workshops, and more. You are now listening to season two of the Mimi podcast, where I have fun and interesting conversations with some of the nicest creative minds around the world. From artists and illustrators to designers and art directors, I hope you enjoy listening to our chats and learn a thing or two. In today's episode, I meet with British artist David Schillinglow in his Margate studio, surrounded by colourful artworks from both his collection and his partner's Lily Mix, who also sat with us working on a piece in the background. It was lovely recording this chat in person, seeing David in his environment and observing his paintings, notebooks and other curiosities up close while we were talking. We covered a lot of grounds in our chat, from the magic of travelling on your own to the power of making zines, or zins, I still can't say it, you will see in the chat, as well as his love of sketchbooks. David also told me about how he started out as an artist and what's coming next for him and Lily. It was a super interesting chat and I really, really loved meeting David. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Now, let's meet David. Okay, let me get my notebook, even though we're already recording, but... Nice to meet you, Melanie. Yes, nice to meet you too. Welcome to my studio. I love it. It's Our studio. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a lot of Lily's work around. Never enough. And I love how complimentary they are. Like, they're just... I don't know how you guys are not ending up doing the same thing, because I know if you surround yourself with artworks... You end up doing, you know, it just infiltrates your Definitely. subconscious. There's a overlap conceptually, yeah. aesthetically. A little bit, yeah. Sometimes Lily, because she has this obsession with the little wooden boxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've been collecting pieces of wood and wooden boxes for, I don't know, 30 years. Like I, as a kid, I was, I would just have to buy the little wooden cigar box. Like I okay. couldn't not pick up that old thing in the skit, like an old chest of drawers. I was into recycling old wooden things a lot because I love Dada. Alongside Dada, there's a guy called Kurt Schwitters, who had his own kind of thing called Mertz, M-E-R-Z. Kurt Schwitters is famous for, as well as being a painter, he was like a collagist of scraps of paper and little cigar boxes and stuff. I was obsessed with him. And Joseph Cornell is another artist who made, what would he call them? Like little dioramas or, or they're boxes with objects in. This was definitely one of mine and Lily's when we met. We both were a bit obsessed with that. So to answer your question, yeah, sometimes I'll see Lily's new bit of work and I'm like, oh, that old cigar box that I bought from a flea market in Paris 20 years ago, it's finally found a home. Um, Equally, I've stolen things off Lily to put into my work. We share everything. I mean, it it works like that. It was inconvenient when we had separate studios because sometimes I'd be looking for something and I'd be like, ah, Lily's taking it. But this way, I just have to look on her desk and I'm like, oh, there's my sharpener. <laughs> it's pretty cool. I feel like I feel like I couldn't do it. I couldn't. I feel like it's such a introspective process for me to create that I'd get really annoyed with having to. I don't know, but I guess it's. I'm really bad at collaboration. Anyway. I couldn't like, do it with everyone. We've okay. learned to do it. We've been together 10 years. So yeah. there have been times where I've worked with other artists and like one of the game changers is what music someone's listening to. Yeah. And Lily and I just love the same music or we'll happily listen to the same podcast. I don't know. It is a sacred space. The studio for me is like an extension of me. Like it's not just a place of work. It's a place to process stuff. If someone was playing music that I didn't like, I'd find that really annoying. And I'm sure if I was doing something that they didn't like, you know, uh, so I had that at university. University shared a studio with loads of people. And I never went in. I found it very exposing. Like everyone could walk around and see you working. And I rented a studio outside of university. And in my last year, they were like, you have to come in because you get graded on your studio practice and your attendance. And I didn't want to, but I kind of um, leaned into their, their advice. And I went in like nine to five and I turned my studio into like an installation. I uh, like, I created the sort of hyper real studio with, right inside the school. Yeah. I built like, you know, put shelves up with books on it and plants and I painted parts of the wall with blackboards. I wrote on it. Like I turned my studio space into 
like a parody of an artist studio, like what you imagine an artist studio to look like. Studios are very, not just mine, but other. I love visiting other artist studios. I feel like a studio is a bit like looking inside someone's sketchbook. Mm. There's an there's a sense, there's a spirit in the place, and Lily and I actually share this studio, but also our kitchen table. There's always pots of pens. There's always there was a point when I was doing loads of ceramics, and I'd always do my ceramics at home. That became my evening work was working in ceramics. I don't really separate my house and my studio. There's a sort of flow of work between them. And I used to live in my studio in London when I lived there. I lived in this big warehouse and my bedroom literally opened out. I'd wake up holding onto a painting. <laughs> so, you, yeah, you don't really have boundaries, I guess. You don't no, have that famous kind of work. That well, more in the studio. recently I do. because With Ziggy. Well, with Ziggy well. and leaving work around the house and also just time. It's very important to separate time between domestic house keeping the house clean you can't paint oh, i'm glad to hear you say that it's That's true nice. it helps me lily and ziggy have some sort of structure mm. but also to create boundaries between like i'm not working now like because i used to work 24 hours like when i went full-time in my art it was like i was never not working which was great and it was fun through my 20s and 30s now it's really important to not work because actually i've feel like any creative person it's really important to do nothing because sometimes doing nothing that doesn't happen by the way that's impossible but doing nothing is creating a space to kind of recharge and recover and I don't mean physically recover like oh my back hurts although I do actually mean that especially if I paint a mural I have arthritis in my neck I'm so old in your neck man I've got aches and pains I don't even want to talk about but the recovery is also mental. There's something about watching a movie or reading a book that actually I feel like you're recharging a, a creative battery. You're, you're, and actually I, I find some of my best ideas come when I'm not in the studio. I was on the drive home yesterday from Brighton, so a two hour drive, and I had some great ideas. Um, actually, I, I saw something that I'll share with you that, blew my mind i was on the motorway and it was a traffic jam so we crawled to a you know three mile an hour pace and uh it, the music was great i was listening to some great music the sun was setting this sort of winter sun and i saw ahead of me about 50 meters ahead oh there's a dead fox like i'm quite into not just roadkill but the flowers on the motorway i get a, a kind of like empathy for the flower that's growing in the middle of the motorway, like, well done, man, you, you did it, you, you, you did it. But when I see roadkill, I'm like, oh, poor little fox. What's the story? What happened, right? And as I pulled up close to it, really slow in my car, I looked out the window, there was a flower growing out of the fox's eye socket. Like a straight, quite a tall flower growing out of this decomposing fox's corpse. And I had this moment of like, whoa, that's deep. Like that's inspiring right i started to think oh how could i how could i put that into my work like that's that's amazing um but also i find those times when you're in transit driving on a train waiting in the dentist you know that sometimes is when you your brain can go on a journey that maybe it wouldn't go if you were trying to work uh, walking is a good practice for me or running, I go for a run sometimes, or go for a swim in the sea. I don't expect it to happen. But when it does, when that idea, that sort of bubble of inspiration goes pop, you're like, ah, oh, great. Because you're not expecting it, or it comes from nowhere. I mean, it comes from somewhere. It's your brain um, working without you knowing. It's like uh, joining the dots or connecting things that maybe were laying dormant or reacting to something like a dead fox or a flower. Suddenly you're like, ah, I can't wait to go and write or draw that in my sketchbook. So that thing of, I can't wait to go and do that. That's without sounding too sort of cheesy. That's the magic. That bit where your brain goes, aha, I've got an idea. Mm. Whew, that's magic. Like that for me is a buzz. That's like a thrill. And, and sometimes I have to send myself an email, like, or, or write it in a sketch, like I'll be doing something. I'm like, oh my God, I've got to remember this. How am I going to, I need to borrow a pen. And 
that's yeah. if you're in a situation where you need to get a pen or mm. you need to send yourself an email to remember something, you're doing good, a good yeah. job. Yeah. So funny, I had that last night. I was my partner was already in bed, a bit ill, and I was like, okay, I need to do all the home like Hoover, whatever. And then I was like, oh, but I was thinking about a painting I want to do. And I was like, oh, but there's something missing, something missing. And I do all the thing. And then just as about I'm about to go in bed, I'm like, oh, no, no, I got to go do it. I got to do mm -hmm. it. So I went back into the studio, which is next to my, you know, it's at home. But, and I was like, okay, I got to do it. And uh, I was like, I can't not like either I'm writing it or doing it. I don't want to forget it. Mm. It was like such a good idea. And it was still good this morning. So it's good. You know, it's but, interesting. Sometimes the idea doesn't manifest, like it doesn't materialize, but a bit like I imagine some musicians get a melody in their head. I'll sometimes be in the shower or I'll be getting into bed or I'll be out with my mates having a drink. And I kind of see a piece of art in my head or a page in my sketch. Like it's like I'm working in a sketchbook in my head all the time. And you know what? Some of those pages never get seen, They, it, but it's like this, a constant, kind of like a studio in my head that there's always a little David in there working. And sometimes that, it sounds silly, but it kind of gets me through the day, especially when I'm doing something boring or I find it, um, it's not a choice. I don't think, oh, I need to make work. What am I gonna make? It's almost, um, the hardest thing is actually finding the time to put into practice what I've got in my head. Um, and that's interesting because I didn't realize how lucky I was to have time before I had a kid mm. or before I was as busy as I am. Like being a grown up, I'm such a grown up, right? I'm so busy that I don't get time to work. It's ridiculous. I would say that one of the myths of being an artist is that you're in the studio making art. Like I'm spending most of my time doing my accounts and shopping and uh, emails, and it, it's relentless that actually. I would say this is the way I kind of think about making art is that I have to do the main course before I can enjoy the pudding. Yeah. And the pudding is the painting, but I have, I can't relax into just making art unless I've answered all the emails, sent an invoice, done the shopping, you know, done all the grown up stuff. And then I'm allowed to play. And that's funny because I think it should be the other way around. I should be in the studio at eight o'clock in the morning painting till five but uh, it's it's um it's actually a challenge for me to to let go and just just make um I've always been a bit like that and maybe that's an important part of be the practice is um doing all the admin and the you know it's almost like there's two you know Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde mm. you've got like the the internal child the wild beast that just wants to play and the other side of you has to be the accountant and the administrator and I think if you were too much in one side of your head, you're going to just be an accountant. And if you're in the other side of your head, you're just going to be a, a, I don't know, a child. Mm. Um, but I think maybe, maybe being an artist is like finding the balance between the two and both sort of living in symbiosis, you know, like you, you, you've got to, you've got to have the dessert. You've got to mm. enjoy what you're doing to look forward to it and get excited about it. But if you're just enjoying it and being excited about it, no one's going to clean up the mess, you know, and, and plan the thing next year. Um, it's a constant uh, balancing thing that tips sometimes too much into admin. I, ask Lily. She'll sometimes be like, wow, you need to go to the studio. Like mm -hmm. I can tell you need to go and paint because that's, yeah. that's the thing that I love to do. And I can quite easily get caught up in all the – it's interesting though because you mentioned earlier that you like having time to create so you want to get in the studio and you know it always takes a bit of time to set up get in the mood and maybe you're doing that because you know if you've done all the annoying bits mm -hmm. then you'll have that unlimited time and yes. you work in the evening right you like working when it's dark or you just uh, more more often these days i don't because okay. i'm tired mm, at night yeah. i'm like how I are used you doing to, this i used I to not to get tired i was okay I still struggle to sleep, but that's annoying because I'll be tired and I'll get into bed and my brain's like, uh-uh, mm. we got loads of stuff to think about right now. But most evenings, because I have a child and because I like spending time with my partner, 
I still work, but not like very rarely do I come to the studio and work at night. That used to be my natural state. My happy place was actually when all my flatmates had gone to bed and I'd put my headphones in because I didn't want the music to wake them up. I would lose track of time and it would be like four o'clock in the morning. I'm like, wow, I better go to bed. I should go to bed. I didn't, sometimes I wouldn't. Like I used to be nocturnal, like a vampire, but these days I can't do that. If I get to midnight, I'm like, wow, that's a late night. But time is the currency. It's a raw material. I, I have a theory that time speeds up the closer you get to dying. What's the theory? Maybe it's to do with how much life you've lived. Maybe it's something to do with the speed of your heart. I know that, like for example, animals that live a long time have big hearts and they're very slow pulse. Can elephant experiences time differently to a mouse a mouse is very very fast that's why a fly lives just a few days or whatever because but i don't think a fly knows it lives a few days it lives a few human days but a fly lives a whole life a mouse lives what seven years or five years i'm sure i mean i've had a few mice that died after a year but i think mice can live a few years yeah but their heartbeats is like like that so i think your size is a perception of time i don't know anything about this i'm just guessing but i think as you get older you perceive time quicker. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because you've experienced more time. It's compressed. It's like a child, a day is fast. A summer holiday, six weeks summer holiday was like forever. Wait, do you think it's also maybe because when you're a kid, you're always experiencing new things? You know, as you get older, you get maybe some people get in their routines and mm -hmm. life is just kind of samey. Yes. So then time is, I don't know. Yes, maybe because things are so new and, and yeah, it's like, an whoa, abundance well, so of stimulation much yeah. that everything seems fresh. But I, I'm sure I saw a diagram once that explained it in terms of money. And it's funny because okay. I said time's a currency. That it's a bit like if you have a big pile of money, one coin doesn't mean anything. Mm. But if you've only got 10 coins, one of them is a lot, right? So if you yeah, translate that you to time, if you've only lived for four years... That's all you know. So That's it's, crazy it's, to think about as well. Right. So my daughter's yeah. four. Yeah. That's her whole life is four years. That's huge for her. Mm. The last four years for me have flown by quick. Mm. And as I get older, a day, I can't believe it sometimes. I have such high expectations for the day. And before I know it, it's like, three o'clock, I've got to go. Like, so as I've got older, in work terms, it's much um, more important that I get up early and go to bed early and feel the day in a constructive proactive way also i think the tendency at night is to i'm more relaxed i'm tired but maybe i'll have a beer as well don't get me wrong recently i did come to the studio at night and i i remembered that there's a certain energy at night isn't there there's a certain like i said about my flatmates being asleep there's a sense that everyone else is relaxed mm. so what i'm doing is quite special yeah that's i don't know i feel like i've always i like that but in the morning so i used to not anymore because River wakes us up too early anyway, but I used to go to sleep early because I was tired. And I was like, my brain needs to function, but wake up really early and it was still night and start working then. Mm -hmm. And it was the same thing, but at least I had slept. So I was like, you know, yeah, I think different. Again. Also seasons change. Summer yeah. is, it's, it's nice to stay up late because it's warm and it's mm -hmm. light. Um, I do get a buzz out of getting up really early though. I feel like there's a spirit in the air of like 7am when you get to the studio at seven, like there's a, or even like Lily and I painted a mural in um, the summer in July. And it was like a heat wave. It was mm. uncomfortably hot at midday. And we were painting this huge mural. We had six days. It was like, well, I can't really afford to be exhausted and dehydrated. So a couple of days I got up at five and would be at the wall at half six. And by 9am I've already done three hours yeah. work. And, I felt like uh, really awake. Maybe that was all the coffee I was drinking, but I felt really um, engaged with the work. Whereas if you start at midday, yeah, before you know it, you're stopping for lunch and it's the afternoon. So I think, yeah, you can get different things out of the day, but I'm still perfecting it. I'm still clumsy and I'm a terrible sleeper. Are you? Oh man. Like recently it's bad. Uh, I've even... A few times recently, discovered nitol. What's that? Well, it's a pill you can take, but oh, it's over pill. the counter, I and, it was and you're not supposed. To, I don't think you're supposed to take it every night. So, like every so often, I'm like, ah, I can anticipate tonight's 
my brain's like a because sleep is important isn't it oh, it's man. making me think i don't know if you heard that thing of michael jackson used to get completely like the, he used to get pills by his doctors that would just black him out like mm -hmm. he wouldn't even get rem he would get nothing mm -hmm. he would just literally out the whole night and then wake up but i think that's not healthy you no. need i mean it was obviously not healthy and that's probably one of the reasons he died but <laughs> like he like that sleep is so important like i've always felt like i need my sleep to function and yeah it must have been hard for you i mean i, I don't know with the child now it's probably uh, as well, yeah but. that adds something and she gets into bed sometimes at three in the morning and mm. kicks me out or but even without a child in the situation i can't compare my brain to anyone else's brain but mm. i have a, an active imagination i don't know there's parts of my brain that never switch off and it's funny i've learned techniques meditation i try and meditate in the morning actually but sometimes when i can't sleep there's certain techniques which like special service you know navy marines do when they're trying to sleep in the jungle do you know any of those? Like no, breathing, I don't, but that's breathing cool because I need that as well. My brain never well, there's a, stop. I mean, this isn't a podcast about meditation, but no, let's but talk about yeah, it. Yeah, right? we can um, talk about it. <laughs> there's one, actually, the zine I just gave you that's called Bodies of Land and Water. Those drawings, I call them body scans. A body scan, it's kind of a, a joke because the guy that scans my work, he says, oh, I've done another body scan. So it's him scanning my work. But a body scan is meditation technique where you basically start at the top of your head or the bottom of your feet, and you work your way through your body. If you get from one end to the other and you're still awake, then you've probably got a problem. But I've never done it and got all the way because mm. you combine that with a breathing technique and it puts you into a mindful, very present state where you are focusing on your earlobes mm. and then your neck and then your shoulders. And you kind of check in and go, hello, neck, how are you today? Oh, yes, do you feel pain? And you kind of focus on your body and work your way through this i hear is a way for soldiers to train their minds to relax in you know either sleeping in the middle of the desert or in a war zone it's a way of calming yourself and focusing your breathing and counting there's certain counting techniques and um that is something i do to try and sleep and i've had a few maybe burnouts like whatever because again, how do you compare one person's burnout to another? I always kind of thought, ah, I'm just a bit poorly. Now I realize, oh, hang on. No, I had a few few bad times that I'm like, I could have prevented that by looking after myself. And I don't just mean physically. You can eat all the vegetables in the world and go for a run. But maybe the most important muscle organ you have is your brain. I kind of feel like I am a brain that's in a machine. Yeah, I say and, that all the time. And I just hope the plumbing keeps yeah. working, right? The yeah. body, don't get me wrong, I want to look good, but it's a machine that carries around mm. my thoughts. And the last few years, I've definitely, I enjoy, I didn't enjoy this before, I enjoy challenging how to be better, like, or, or uh, well. I mean, the word wellness gets thrown around like it's this kind of, oh, uh, wellness. Hey, wellness is amazing because if you wake up happy and go to sleep happy your sleep's going to be better your your connections with people whether it's your family or the stranger in the post office is going to be better your work is going to benefit and i think i got so into just creativity like keep making work and it was like oh my god like actually i'm i'm trying these days to um maybe do less but do more with it say less but mean more do less don't get exhausted Take some time out, man. Doing nothing. I mean, that doesn't exist because you're always breathing. You're always mm. thinking. You're not doing nothing. However, creating space to do nothing. And meditation is a thing I actively do it, right? I have to go and sit in a quiet room and do it. But there's not nothing. No, you're not, you don't fall asleep. Something. No, you. I get ideas when I meditate. Yeah. I mean, do you know David Lynch's stuff? So there's a book called Catching the Big Fish. And he talks about meditation as a, you, you get a thought when you meditate. And that thought is like a little fish. And then you use that little fish to catch a bigger fish. Mm. And he said, the deeper you go into your subconscious, yeah. the bigger the fish are. And they're, for example, Blue Velvet. He said, that movie starts, right, with a severed ear on a green lawn. And someone's mowing the lawn. That was an image he got in a meditation. So he came out of the meditation, was like, wow, a severed ear, like white 
skin, red blood, green grass, white picket fence, someone mowing the lawn. That's how the movie starts. So that was his a catalyst for making that movie. And when I read that book, I was like, whoa, I want some of that. These ideas that never stop bouncing around in this sort of pinball machine of my brain, maybe I need to try and slow it down a bit so I can um, see some of those ideas um, and use them. It's an incredible thing. Like your brain is like this, it's vast, right? It's mm. as big as the universe. I don't think I've seen the edges or the corners of my mind. Mm. Have like, mm. And there's things I forget. There's things I remember. There's things I learn, can learn a word, a new word in English or French, or, mm -hmm. you know, you, you're constantly learning a lyric and a song. You meet a new person, you remember their name. And it's like this collage of information. Some of it's so boring. It's like bank statements. And other stuff is like the best song, you, a, a new song by the Beatles. Whoa. Like, you know, so I think the brain is an incredible, it's the most incredible thing that you will ever own. It's so beyond you, your comprehension is, it, what is a brain? It's just madness. And it's the very center of everything, your work, your life. So you need to look after it. Okay, so my question was about travel mm -hmm. because you, I mean, that's what I wanted to ask you is that. So first when you, so you studied at St. Martin's and then I don't know how that happened, but you got a residency in Beijing. And I'm like, first, you need to tell me how that happened. And then I remember reading, and you probably talked about it on other podcasts as well. I've heard you talk about how you like to create work in the place you're going to show it. Or, you know, have really that that inspiration come from the place you're mm. going to. So, yeah, I want to talk about that. And also, like, you're in Margate now. You don't, do you travel as much? Do you, do you need that? Do you feel yourself wanting to travel places and be, like, re-inspired almost? Yeah, not as much anymore because... I have a child. Mm -hmm. That's the, you can take the best you. spanner in the works because time, energy, money. That's the, the Venn diagram is time, money, and energy. And in the middle is a happy home. But I love to travel. And I always have. I was born in the Middle East, actually, in Saudi Arabia. And as much as I don't remember that, I was born there because my dad worked there. But he, worked, he lived in Saudi. We lived there for a few years. I don't remember it. We came back when I was one. But I think knowing that, started my life with this knowledge that I went somewhere else already. And my dad traveled a lot. So he sort of in inspired me to go to places. And from a very early age, I was up for it. I think 12 years old, I flew to Andorra to stay with my auntie on my own. Cause I was like, I want to go. Like I had a travel bug from a very early age. Adventure, loved it. When I was at university even, the summer, of the, my first year it's a long summer isn't it it's like three months I mean when you're at university it's a long vacation I traveled all around Europe by myself and to Morocco did that a few times actually went to all over to Prague to Italy just on my own just backpacking but always keeping a sketchbook and working and definitely after I graduated the idea of a gap year kind of annoyed me I didn't have that money and I thought well if I'm going to travel one way I could travel is I've just done this degree in art let's try and do exhibitions over it just made sense to me at the same time, I was becoming more involved with street art or graffiti. So that's like a whole network. You know, I've, got, I've met friends overseas in Athens, in Paris. I know them because of graffiti. And then I end up sleeping on their sofa and we go out to do graffiti or paint a mural. Street art and graffiti is like an international network of potential sofas you can sleep on. And that is literally like there's bars where you meet up with people and there's a history of everyone signing each other's books and yeah, drinking and having fun. And then graffiti, New York, Paris, Berlin, all of these cities. I could meet someone and go, hey, I like your art. And they're like, I like your art too. Let's go and get drunk and paint some stupid graffiti. That's amazing. That inspired me way more than having a holiday or a gap year. The Beijing thing was a game changer. And I'll tell you why, because I had graduated and everyone who had authority in my life my parents and my grandma and stuff were like what are you going to do now maybe you should be a teacher now I'm a pretty good teacher I've been a teacher there's nothing wrong with being a teacher but I wanted to be Picasso like I didn't want to be a teacher but I was like okay maybe I should do it everyone says I could do it so I applied for a PGCE which is like a it's like a second degree in a way you study for a year then you work in a school and at the end you're a teacher got onto it and at exactly the same time, I was offered a residency in Beijing. So if I hadn't been offered that residency in Beijing, I think I would have become a teacher. 
I'd got onto the course. Mm. I was about to start. And then at the last minute I said, no, thanks. I'm going to go and do I this think, show in I Beijing. I think that's not giving you enough credit. I think you would have done that and then it would have, get, it was inside uh, you. I don't think you, you would have done it a bit. Yeah. And then you've been like, no, nah, I yeah, got to do it. But, I, I don't think you would have. But that stayed. particular but trip, it because it was hours. so far away. Yeah. And I somehow got it that's funded. Awesome. I got it sponsored. So yeah. I, I got my flights paid for, got my rent paid for while I was there. And it was, I was there for nearly two months. That's mm. a long time. Um, also, it wasn't that fun. It was fun. I, I like traveling. It doesn't matter where I am. But it wasn't like going out drinking with lots of graffiti artists. It was mm. work. I worked. And it was the first time since leaving university that I was taking being an artist very seriously and everyone there was taking me seriously and I had this huge studio and I came back a bit like okay I think I know a little bit about what it means now not just to be an art student but to be an artist to do a show to make work for two months I also talking about the studio thing there is something to me very special about turning up in a place with nothing like a, a suitcase with some drawings in, a sketchbook, and some ideas. For me, that is one of the, the most exciting. That's more exciting than sitting on a beach sunbathing. I've done it in Cape Town. I did a residency. Japan. Where you turn up with a backpack and you have, even if it's one week, I can do a lot in a week. And I love starting from scratch. I love making new work for that space. This painting will fit on that wall there's a local, I don't know, ceramic studio. So I'm going to work with them and you discover things, you make friends. I get a real buzz out of that. Actually, this is bringing a question for Because you went to Ibiza recently and you drew on walls on an hotel, right? Mm -hmm. Like you did a whole thing. Was that planned? How does it work? Because obviously you're being commissioned. Mm. So how does that work? Okay, the word residency is very broad and vague, yeah. actually. I've done residencies where I've been paid to be there to make work. I've also done residencies where no one paid me. I, I had to pay for the flight. But my connection was like, yeah, you can do a show in our gallery and you can sleep on the sofa, but we're not, we're not paying your flight. But sometimes that one is the best one because it's in like Japan. And everyone's like, wow, you did a show in Japan. Sometimes it's a mural and I'm getting paid to paint a mural. Sometimes they pay for the flight. Sometimes they'll put you in a five-star hotel. Sometimes you sleep on a sofa. It's, it's so different. Every time is different. The Ibiza thing was a very unique experience because it was a project, if you like, or um, a festival of music and food. And they said, we want you to come and paint walls at this hotel. And part of the payment was you get to stay in the hotel, which was really nice, with your girlfriend and kid and be part of the festivities. And it was great. And I met some cool people. Like sometimes... How can I explain it? Sometimes the ones where you get paid loads of money, they're not the good ones. Mm -hmm. It's good for your bank balance. Yeah. However, mm -hmm. like I would say one of the best experiences I've had in terms of traveling was going to Ethiopia with a charity. And they paid my flight, but I didn't get paid. And I didn't, I painted murals only. I didn't, I mean, I kept a sketch, but the whole time I was there, but it wasn't about like doing an exhibition. There was nothing for sale. Money was not on the menu. It wasn't like, we'll pay your flight. That's it. Do you want to come to Ethiopia? Oh my God, did that inspire me? That trip was a, a life-changing experience, genuinely. Like going and sleeping in villages in the middle of nowhere, like hours from anywhere, sleeping in a cow shed, drinking homemade uh, moonshine with farmers who had AK-47s to kill the hyenas that were going to attack us. Like it was nuts. And that, is a good example of how maybe the best experiences don't always get paid the best. And equally, some of the stuff I've done where I get paid loads of money, it's a bit dry. It's a bit like um, staying in a well-air-conditioned hotel, but not that fun. So yeah, travel. I mean, if, if you're not traveling, I don't know what you're doing. Like, obviously there's parts of the world where you can't even get a passport. Like, I'm very lucky. I feel like the privileges I have of being English with an English passport, that's like, I've got a golden ticket. Like if you're not using that, it's not even about staying in expensive places. Like when I was at university, I was obsessed with 
Jack Kerouac as well, who wrote On the Road. Also Hunter S. Thompson, who wrote Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. The idea, the mythology of traveling on your own, especially. There's a difference. Traveling with your family is nice. Traveling with a friend is nice. But traveling on your own? Have you ever done that? Yeah, I've only done that. Ultimate freedom. In fact, when I traveled around Europe for the first time, I read a book called The Dice Man. Great book by Luke Reinhardt. And in that book, he decides what he does by rolling dice. There's a lot more to the book than that, but that's the essence of why it's called The Dice Man. And I would decide which train I was going to get by rolling dice. And that is ultimate freedom. I still continue to want that. I love it, but it's different now. I've done a few Mm -hmm. trips and so has Lily in the last few years. Lily actually did a mural a few months ago and it was, it was bought forward three months and it just happened to coincide me doing a show in London. So she had to go to San Francisco. I had a show in London, but I was like, yeah, 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 great, go. But doing an exhibition with a four-year-old and it just happened that we both got ill as well. I had sinusitis. She had a chest infection. Man, it's not the same as it was. I, and I almost want to go back in time and say to myself in 2011, to stop complaining and really make the most of this. Like you are living the dream right now. You might not have any money, but you have ultimate freedom and time on your side. You can literally do anything. And there's no, no one to question it. Now, if I'm away at seven, I need to, I want to say goodnight to my daughter. That, that, even that little thing is like, I'm answering to a four-year-old. Like, it, and I love that. But it kind of interrupts your sense of freedom or flow. Like I, I would never just turn my phone off and just paint. I'm like, no, I want to say goodnight to my daughter. I take other people's needs seriously. Let's change subject to something a bit even more fun, which is zines. Because you love zines. Oh, z- zine. Zen. I call it a zine. Zines. Well, I'm French, so you know, you probably, I don't know. Well, I don't pronounce Well, as far as I know, words. it's sort of abbreviation zines. of magazine. Yeah, but I, maybe I say magazines. Do you? So who knows? No. No, I've, I've okay. heard uh, no. lots of different. I hear, I don't know zine. why. I have heard zines before. I've said zine, but you're right. It makes more sense. It's like a tiny magazine. Yeah, or fanzine zines. is the thing. And fanzine. Okay, zines. so the history or the mm. sort of, as far as I came to zines is that. That sounds weird. It's a. Uh, there's a culture, especially in music, like punk rock and to some extent like hip hop, like a mixtape when you'd make your own tape. A zine is a bit like that. It's like a little mixtape that you're giving away. And there's a sense of do it yourself, lo-fi, really like homemade, right? So when I was at university, I got really into that. Um, it's an extension of my sketchbook stuff. I got a real buzz out of, I would attack my mum's work photocopier. I would design a... a two a3 pages with collage and stuff and i got a kick out of like the working out the pagination is it like the paging Mm. so i'd work okay that's the front and the back cover and then everything so there'd be a little kind of thread throughout like a little cutting up bits of newspaper and and photos and making this sort of dada comic weird zine i would print them black and white and then i had there's my sewing machine up there. I would stitch them on a sewing machine. I'll give you one before you go. I've got loads of old zines. And then I'd go to a party or a, or gallery openings or I'd just post them to people, just sending my stuff out into the universe. And um, and sometimes it really worked. Like mm. I did do show. I did a show in Istanbul. I was part of a group show. And when I got there, which they paid for the flight, put me up in a hotel, big deal out of university. And the curator had one of my little zines. And I was like, how did you get that? And he said, ah, I was at a dinner with this artist that you sent it to. And he gave it to me and said, you should check out this guy's work because it would suit your group show. So this idea that something I made for 20p, not even, I used my mum's photocopier, posted it. And a year later, I'm in a show because of it. It's like I planted a little seed that grew. And this sort of idea of make something that's cheap enough to give away but it's valuable enough that people won't throw it away. Not like a business card that it just gets lost. A little magazine. So every time I do a show of residency, when I went to China, when I went to Japan, I would make a zine before I went. They got slowly, slightly better as time went on. They went, I worked in a print shop. So I used to print them instead of black and white, I print them red and blue because that was a function on the photocopier. Then they became color. Then they stopped being stitched on a sewing machine. They became perfect bound. And actually I just made a zine. 
is called Bodies of Land and Water. It's stapled. It's it, it printed. I didn't make it. I just designed it. In fact, my friend, Joanna Dudderidge, big up, best designer ever. She designed it for me. I just gave her the images. Even though it's a little bit more professional and kind of perfect, if you like, the essence is still there of 16 pages. That's like an analog PDF. It's like a real thing that you can put in your pocket. You can cut your finger on the zine. Like it's the opposite of a website. It's the opposite of Instagram. You can't tap it, you, but you can smell it, right? And when I went to Brighton two days ago and when I met you today, here's a zine. Now I sell them on my shop, of course, but I also don't care if I give 300 of them away. I get a kick out of that. That's that tomorrow you'll empty your bag and you go, oh, that zine. Hey, look what this guy gave me. And then that for me is way better than Instagram. It's like... It's a nostalgic, tangible, craft-based thing. Actually, when I was at university, I made books. So I wasn't just making zines. I was hand-stitching hardback books. I love the space of a book. The, uh, it's a time-based thing. You have to start and you move through it. It's almost sculptural. There's a third dimension that you're dealing with, but there's also a time. And it's kind of a singular experience. You, don't, you could have two people look at a book, but I mean, every night I read books with my kid, but for me, getting one of my big art books out and sitting on the sofa and flicking through a book, that might be the best way to look at art, unless you're in front of the painting in a museum. But even that can be a bit problematic because you're in a room with other people. Everyone's quiet. You have to go to the museum. Sometimes you have to pay. But me on my sofa or in my bed at night looking through a big catalogue of paintings by Eddie Martinez or whatever, that's like an exhibition just for me whenever I want. And I can stop, I can speak through. There's usually an essay in there to read. Um, for me, books are sacred. They're old as well. They like, go way back. Um, so yeah, zines and books, huge part. It's almost like my sketchbook is is the spine of my practice, you know. It's the, uh, no no pun intended, but it is the spine of my work. It's the nervous system. It's where all the, the ideas start, I would say, sketchbooks. And zines are like a kind of um, byproduct of that. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about your sketchbooks. And I wanted to know, because obviously there's the cathartic kind of process of probably writing down, because you write in them a lot, right? Mm. You you draw, but you write and you write your, the quotes. You love doing your quotes, but you also write or lyrics sometimes. Like yeah, you do a lot of different things. You know what's funny? Often at the back nice. is where I write. Yeah. Quite obsessive. And then at the front is more okay, so you do, Yeah. And then obviously in some of my drawings, sorry, I'm away from the mic. Some That's of the okay. drawings, there's text in there yeah. and dates. So you mean you do, you're, not, you're not mixing both when you're... It's like, odd. I don't know why I do that. I've always written at the back. Sometimes it's a shopping list. Sometimes it's like the mm. list of things I've got to do. Sometimes yeah. it's more like a journal. Yeah. I go through phases of sometimes it's poetry, mm. terrible poetry True. that rhymes and everything. Uh, oh no. And then the front is more like a visual space. And then sometimes they meet in the middle. Mm. Very rarely. There's most of my sketchbooks have look, a chunk of uh, like a gap. Is that because you've not finished it or is it just because you... Um, I love starting a new sketchbook. Yeah, okay. Like, I think it's an illness for uh-huh. artists. There's nothing more satisfying than the first page of a sketchbook. But you're good with that. Do you do something and, you know, it's this famous thing of people buying new sketchbooks and not wanting to start them because they look so pretty. No, no, or start starting them. them and be like, oh, no, that, I want, you know, when you start something, you kind of want it mm. to almost look great straight away. But yeah. you're good as like, this is, this is what it is. I Let's go have, to the next page. I will... It doesn't matter if I haven't finished my last sketchbook. If I'm going on a new trip, like we're going away for a month, I'm buying a new sketchbook for that. Yeah. If I go to another country, I'll often buy a new sketchbook because that book, it's like a punctuation. It's like a new chapter. And I'm not precious about finishing it all. Mm. I don't care if there's empty pages. Sometimes I rip the pages out as well if I need to make a drawing. Um, I... I think also I've lost sketchbooks in the past. I left one on a train in Morocco and it was nearly full and it broke my heart. That trip when I went all around Europe for like three months, 
I had worked in the sketchbook for two months and it was involved. It was collages and writing and little paintings. And I left it on a train. For that reason now, I'm almost keen to, I have multiple sketchbooks going on. Some are big, some are small, some are little pocket ones. Um, I also go through phases of just working on paper. Like that's why a zine is good. Cause a zine is like a, a, a version of a sketchbook. It's like a way of me taking bits of this bit of paper, this page of my sketchbook, and then I share it. Um, I went through a phase of, for about a year, I did a drawing every day. And there's a little book, which I've got called The Dance of a Thousand Faces, because one of the drawings has that as the thing. And each drawing turned into a face, pretty much. A self-portrait, if you like. They didn't look like me, but it was me. As much as it was you, it was a face of a person. And in there, lots and lots of little words and writing. And it became a, a meditative practice. Every morning I would wake up, I would spend 20 minutes doing this drawing. And before I went to bed, I would spend 20 minutes. And if I could, in the middle of the day, I'd spend 20 minutes. So that's like an hour of my day doing this drawing. I deliberately didn't do it in a sketchbook because I was worried to lose the sketchbook because it was so much work. But also, you, I could sell them because you can't sell a sketchbook. I mean, people have offered to buy my sketchbooks. Why There's can't no you sell them? Huh? It's just you don't want to. It's not I that you can't. It's, it's my Bible. It's yeah, my exactly. encyclopedia. It's my dictionary. It's it's a way of me. And some of it's so personal mm -hmm. that I wouldn't want someone to read that's, it. That's why people want to buy them. Yeah. The book that I published a few years ago called Relax, the Universe is Expanding. One of the catalysts to do this book was to share my sketchbooks. There's a whole section mm -hmm. in it, which is scans of my sketchbooks because I can't exhibit them. I've tried. Like in a show, you can have a sketchbook out and even with some white gloves so people can flick through it. Mm. I've even put holes in them and chained them to the wall because you don't want someone to steal it. Mm. And there's nothing. People love a sketchbook. You know why? Because it's authentic. It's like it's bruised with time. It's got drips and marks on it. It's got personal things in it. You see the background to the paintings in it. And... I think that's why it's special is that maybe you can't or you won't sell it. You can't or it's difficult to exhibit it. Um, so maybe it makes people want it more, you know? So I did the book that I released. It was partly inspired by how can I show these sketchbooks? And then there's an interview with someone that's called Everything Starts in a Sketchbook. Um, and it is, for me, hugely important having a sketchbook in my bag even if I don't sit down and use it I feel weird a bit like when you go out without your phone if I leave my house without a sketchbook in my bag I don't feel right and I think especially the transitional uh, spaces transient spaces maybe trains planes doctor surgeries it's the opposite of flicking through Instagram. Like I said, a zine is like an analog website. If you're drawing in a sketchbook on a train and you're not just flicking through Instagram, it's healthy. It's proactive. Even if you're just scribbling, it doesn't matter. It's like you're using part of your brain that's creating something. And you know what? Everyone starts to look at it. I've looked up before for my sketchbook. I'm just there listening to music, drawing. I look up and there's like three people on the train like, wait, what are you doing? And it's like, I'm just drawing a picture, but I don't know. I don't think enough people do it. Yeah, it's funny because what you mentioned earlier about, you know, having these moments where ideas come to you and and I was thinking, yeah, but a lot of people don't give themselves that space because of their phones. And then, you know, at that time where you can only have ideas or creativity come to you that way because you're present and you're not on your phone, you're just kind of experiencing the world. But I feel like we've, and I'm sure that, you know, it still happens to you, it happens to me, where you're like, oh, I'm just scrolling now. Mm. Actually, should I have that time to not do anything and look around mm. and be like, but yeah, I find that um, a lot of people I know struggle with it. They just don't have that time to reset their brain and be like, not doing anything. Well, those drawings like I made, which I called journal drawings, I did it for nearly a year. So that was, I'd say I did 200 or something. Some of them I sold, some of them I kept. I... I did it because this is like 10, I think it was 2012. So it's like more than 10 years ago, I was already aware that I was using my phone too much. I was 
not, it was my, actually it was the beginning of me trying to calm down, like, and use my art, especially the smaller the writing, the more detailed, the tiny little lines and stuff. It was like I was challenging myself to be more detailed and more slow. And, and then not only was it helping me get off my phone, uh, have a bit of time to myself with a cup of tea or whatever, breathe differently, like calm down. Just 20 minutes is nothing, but it adds up. And then some of them, I'm like, oh yeah, this is a street map of where I was staying in Berlin. Cause that morning I was like, oh, I need, sometimes the drawing would become like uh, the list of things in that day. Things I've got to buy at the supermarket. Um, someone I've got to see their phone number, the street map. Oh, this is your house here. This is the gallery. If you don't know where you're going. So that drawing became like a functional tool to that day. And each one would start with a date. I would always start with a date and an eye, and then it would grow. And I, and everyone kind of looks the same, but different. And some of them are like, oh yeah, Rotterdam airport. I was there for three hours and I did this drawing and then a little bit on the aeroplane. And then a little bit when I got home that night, overheard conversations, what food I had for lunch. And it was a way of sort of getting it out, processing what was happening to me, slowing things down. I don't actually have time to do that kind of drawing anymore. My sketchbooks now are a little bit more functional. Like what's that painting gonna look like later? I use my sketchbook now, it's a tasting menu for a bigger feast I'm gonna make later. It's like, oh, yummy colors together, I'll do that. Or, ah, oh, this shape or this head, that's good. I also encourage my daughter to draw in my sketchbook with me because she's, at that age where she's just discovering drawing and I'm envious of it. Like the, the way she draws people or the other day she drew this mad thing and didn't even ask me. She, she just gave it to me and went, that's an albatross. Now I was, first of all, I was impressed she knew the word albatross cause I've never told her that she'd obviously learn it at school, but I was like, of course it's an albatross. And this thing was like this abstract or cubist bird that Picasso could only dream of drawing this more like Paul Clay or Matisse's, Simple. So I love drawing with her and I love her. I didn't at first, she'd scribble when she was like mm. two, she'd scribble in my sketchbook. I'd be like, oh no, no, that's daddy's work. Now I'm like, can you uh, scribble a bit more with the pink pen? <laughs> I'm like directing her. Um, but listen, um, okay. uh, one thing I wanted to talk about this next year, Lily and I are doing a show together. That is the thing that I am most excited about next Where year. Where are you doing it? Market it's in a gallery in Salisbury. Salisbury is a... It's a cathedral city. It's in the, I mean, the it's in West the Country. It's not okay. far from, you've heard of Stonehenge? Yes. It's yeah. not far from Bath yeah, or Bristol. Okay. Yeah, it, nice. Salisbury is a very quaint, small town with an, an impressive cathedral that's famous for Russians getting poisoned there. Mm. A few years ago, some Russian spies poisoned Ooh. someone. They shut down the whole city. Anyway, Maybe. we have a gallery that we work with there called Vanna Gallery. Mm -hmm. Big up Vanna Gallery. We did a show there last no, this year, but in May this year, we did a show together called Meet Me in the Garden. Mm -hmm. It was a big success for both of us. And the gallery of us is to do another show. We also did a big mural in Salisbury. Like Salisbury, I don't know how, but that city loves me and Lily. And we really love that city. It's, it's a small, big city. Like It's not like London. It's more like Margate. But because it's got a cathedral, it's a city. Mm -hmm. Actually, more like Canterbury. Anyway, nice place. That show we're working on now, even though it will be probably this time next year, that's the thing that in my mind, you know what I'm saying? When I'm in the car and I'm like, ah, that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm thinking about at the moment. And not only because I believe, I won't go on about the concept of it now, but the, the concept for both Lily and I, it feels relevant and interesting about where we're at on planet earth now in terms of our work, discussing, channeling, or even navigating the, the problems, essentially climate change, pollution, you know, ecology, these things that Lily and I are both quite preoccupied with in our work. I feel like this show is a, an exciting opportunity for us to talk about the planet, planet earth. And what does art do that's in any way helping solve which is impossible, but at least talk about some of those problems. Because art is a luxury. You know, some people, I think there's a quote with someone that says, art is everything we don't need. So you need 
water and food, but you don't need cream cakes or champagne. However, I would say that cream cakes and champagne are some of the things that make life worth living, right? So maybe art is the things that make life worth living because you need clothes, but you'd be fine with like a Hessian sack, but no, you need high heel shoes, right? So art is fashion, it's cooking, it's music, it's all the good stuff, comedy, it's dance, it's light displays, fireworks, all these things, the fireworks of life, that's what art is. And I think it's at a precarious time because it is a luxury, it's a commodity, it's a weird industry actually. It's full of corruption and people washing money and million pound paintings in Sotheby's auctions. There's a side of art that's like, ooh, a really expensive thing for a rich person to kind of show off their wealth. Yeah, not just wealth, but sophistication, right? I'm, I'm clever because I know why Rothko is good and I can afford it. So for me, art is this weird thing where it's a bit too much of a luxury and I struggle with that. Whereas Lily and I both try and make work with found objects, upcycling materials about things that almost like, okay, can art, be a protest or rather can it be like um the the cheerleader for mother nature and i think it can i think art whether you're talking about mental health which is also a huge issue climate change um just being a nice human i think art can like wave a flag for that obviously you need to make money you've got to make money you've got to pay your bills right but i think art is still the place to ask difficult questions. Politics isn't. Politics is corrupt and weird, and it's written in a language that not really supposed to understand. Economy, even more cryptic. I don't understand it. Science, math, sport, all these things are about, we are right, we are first, we are the best. Art's not. Art is like a place to ask questions. It's a place to explore philosophy, poetry, playfulness and that is the biggest challenge i think that any artist faces in 2024 and onwards how do you make work that's relevant to contemporary issues that's not just a luxury thing for rich people to hang on their walls it's a thin line i want rich don't get me wrong hey rich people i want you to buy my work but i also want to make work that's not just a commodity i'm struggling with capitalism, right? And where does art fit into that? So one of the things I'm excited about making is I'm making work out of uh, concrete because I love ceramics, but it's very time consuming, very expensive, very fragile. You have to sell it for a lot of money. Concrete is so cheap and it's indestructible. So this year I had a, a, a question for myself. Can I make art that would survive a tsunami or a wildfire? My conclusion was, yes, you can, but you have to make it out of concrete or at least bronze. Now, bronze is quite expensive. I'll get there. I'll do a bronze. But for now, Lily and I are both interested in making work about significant things, uncomfortable things, like microplastic in human blood. That's interesting. It's fucked up. That What was it, Lily? The, the average human consumes a credit card of plastic every month in their diet. Like, that's inspiring, but it's... Bit fucked up. How do you make work about that with materials that complement that issue? There's no point making a really expensive ceramic vase that costs 20 grand about a mental health issue that can only be afforded by a millionaire. It, do you see what I mean? There's, a, there's an offset of, uh, or there's ethical dilemmas for an artist these days. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited to make work that maybe asks difficult questions. Mm. So yes, that's what that's I'm very exciting. There we go. That was a bit of a rant. Oh yeah. But, okay, David, get off your soapbox now. <laughs> oh, Lily's hungry. Oh yeah, I'm hungry too. But yeah, thank you, David. That was really thank good. Thank you so much for yeah. taking the time to visit our studio. Yeah, it's lovely. It's really hard, like, to talk to you and not look around at all the. Paraphernalia. 
I hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode. Please let us know what you think on Mimi's Instagram or email us if you have any questions. Also make sure to check out our community on mimiforcreatives.com and listen to previous episodes of the podcast. Reach out if you fancy a coaching session with me and have a look on the website for resources, tips and tricks. Now have a wonderful day and I'll see you soon. Bye.